Welcome to the Canola Watch Podcast. My name is Jay Wetter, and the topic today is sclerotinia stem rot. The process of gathering ideas for Canola Watch content is based on a weekly conference call. For a recent call, we invited two Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada plant disease specialists, Kelly Turkington from Lacombe, Alberta, and Dwayne Hegedus from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, to help answer a few questions about sclerotinia stem rot in canola. This podcast is pieced together from the flow of the conversation. Here's Kelly Turkington talking about the most important risk factors for sclerotinia disease. Probably one of the, the, the main things would be looking at what your moisture conditions have been like. And uh, if you've had moisture throughout June, uh, good soil moisture as the crop canopy closes, that means you're going to have conditions that favor um, timely germination of sclerotia and production of apothecia, which are then available uh, to release ascospores as the crop comes into flower. Um, related to that would be the simple wet pants test uh, that Keith talks about. Kelly is referring to Keith Gobert, one of the agronomy specialists for the Canola Council of Canada. Kelly explains the wet pants test in a minute or so. Yeah, I, I certainly have anecdotal experience. Like I got uh, in the 90s, I stopped off at corn seed farms uh, on Highway 2 there, just south of Red Deer, and um, uh, about something. And they asked me, well, let's go out and have a look at some canola crops. They were they were getting towards full bloom, I would say, and they were really worried about their risk of sclerotinia. So we walked out into the crop, and it would have been, I don't know, maybe 11 in the morning. I think it was before noon, if I remember correctly. And the soil surface was absolutely dry. The crop canopy was dry. And we looked at several of their crops, and it was a very similar picture. So there simply wasn't enough moisture there to, to facilitate, first of all, germination of sclerotia, and secondly, uh, uh, infection of the plant if you had ascospores landing on petals and petals lodging down on the canopy. So. You know, that uh, that was probably oh, maybe in the early 2000s. Um, so they actually avoided spraying. They didn't spray and made the decision to spray. Pretty nerve-wracking for me, quite frankly, because, you know, they had, I don't know how many fields of canola, but I ran into them later on. I think it was even at FarmTech. And they commented that uh, they'd saved several tens of thousands of dollars on fungicide because they didn't spray and they didn't need to. Uh, they didn't see any sclerotinia. So, you know, that, you know, it, it, it might seem trivial, but I, I would say the wet pants test is a, is a good gauge um, of risk. And if you go into that crop in the morning, let's say before 10, and it's the soil surface is dry, the canopy's dry, uh, your boots are not muddy, your pants are not wet, uh, that risk in terms of the environment component is probably quite low and it then relates to uh, the pathogen component in terms of is the you know first of all is the pathogen there of course and then have the sclerotia germinate to produce uh, apothecia and ascospores so moisture in june how that relates to crop canopy closure um you know and then uh during the actual flowering period the idea of the wet pants test or something similar but I think the wet pants test is a, is a nice sort of um, practical way of, of, of addressing that. 
the, the big question then becomes, uh, do I have uh, sufficient inoculum presence? And, and um, you know, one way of assessing that would be to look at the history of sclerotinia in that field and immediately adjacent fields. So if you've had, I would say, moderate to high levels of sclerotinia in the last two to four years in those fields, two to three, let's say, in the field itself or adjacent fields, that likely would mean if you've got good moisture conditions uh, and the crops at the right growth stage, of course, for sclerotial germination and then subsequently host infection, you probably have a risk. With lots of big rains in parts of the prairies this year, we of course had to ask about the risk effect of too much rain. Uh, again, if you go back to some of the old work done in Germany in the 70s, Kruger was a scientist who looked at sclerotinia, and one of his observations was that uh, sort of the highest risk scenario is where you would have, uh, of course, a well-developed canopy, good soil moisture conditions for the fungus and the the sclerotia to germinate and to make sure you maintain um, the apothecia that they don't dry out. Uh, and, uh, and, and those conditions would also be uh, favorable for infection, but they're not necessarily favorable for spore dispersal because if you get extremely wet conditions where you have uh, rainfall occurring every day, uh, what Kruger observed was that you get water droplets forming on the top portion of the apothecia, that sort of curved cup structure, and the spores would get really would be released into that water droplet and then just wash onto the soil surface. So uh, his comment at that time was ideally you get a few days with good moisture. You have to have the soil moisture there already, of course, and then that's followed by uh, uh, maybe a couple days of of somewhat drier conditions and windy conditions, which facilitates spore release and spore dispersal. Uh, but if you get continuous rain, his comment was that it might actually decrease the risk. Maybe not necessarily eliminate it, but certainly decrease it. Kelly added that it would take about three weeks of saturated soils to destroy the little black sclerotia bodies in the soil, which germinate to form the spore-releasing mini mushrooms called apothecia. And if you have three weeks of flooded soils, sclerotinia stem rot would be the least of your worries, he says. Next, we asked Kelly to comment on yield potential as a factor in risk. We often talked in the past, it was when you had 20% infected plants, that roughly translated it in, into 10% yield loss and 40 bushels per acre crop, which was about uh, four bushels per acre. Canola priced at six dollars per bushel times four, that's twenty-four dollars per acre. So roughly at the break-even point as far as fungicide application. But I, I think the experience nowadays is that that threshold is probably in the ten to twenty percent infected plant range, where you might see a yield response that would cover your cost of chemical and application. 10 to 20% infected plants would cause an estimated 5 to 10% yield loss. 5% of 50 bushels per acre is 2.5 bushels per acre. So if a fungicide is preserving 2.5 bushels per acre, that could be considered the economic threshold. At this point, we talked about the use of spore measuring tools to aid in the decision to spray. 
Clint Yerke, agronomy director for the Canola Council, makes a good case for the tools. Like the, the nice thing about doing the pedal and spore tests is that it removes half of that 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 decision making process. Like, was there enough moisture leading up to flowering to produce the uh, the, the inoculum? Uh, so then it really comes down to is if you got the inoculum, are conditions going to be conducive for the development of the disease? And so that decision becomes somewhat easier like when, when one half of that uh, factor is in place. So I, I would say um, how do we uh, position that effectively and, and encourage growers to, uh, to uh, look at, at some aids if they are have, struggling with this decision. Here is Kelly Turkington's take on the tools. I definitely see the, the role that they can play. Um, you know, if we'd had the DNA-based technology when I was a grad student, we would have ran with that uh, because of the, 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 the uh, advantages of it in terms of uh, specificity, uh, the, the speed at which the results can be uh, obtained and returned to the grower versus uh, agroplating. Uh, you know, you have to have an eye for it to identify the, the fungus, and sometimes you'll see things there that kind of look like sclerotinia. So that was always a problem. You know, the delay in terms of getting the results, you know, the recommended at the, uh, stage at the time in the 80s was early bloom. But by the time you've got the petals collected, taken to the lab, plated, tested, red, could be a week later and that crop has already gone on to uh, you know mid bloom or mid flower or perhaps even getting towards full bloom uh, so that you know that it doesn't give you the opportunity to make a timely decision whereas the DNA based test uh, I would say you know as soon as the crop starts to have fully emerged flowers or petals and they've been out for a a, a few days so they can actually capture spores if they're around you know doing a dna test at that time you know i don't know the, the cost but you're probably looking at about you know maybe 200 to 300 dollars depending on the company whether it's discovery or quantum um, that would give you an idea of the level of inoculum whether it was around uh, and if it was high you know let's say in that 45 50 70, 80, 100% range, then it, it might indicate that you, you want to get into that crop maybe a little earlier stage, i.e. early bloom versus waiting until full bloom. The other thing that I think we need to, 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 to recognize is that, um, you know, it, it, uh, you know we, we focus on making the decision to spray, but we, we should also consider the decision not to spray. And I would say uh, for those growers that might be a bit risk averse uh, and, you know, they, they, they worry about uh, the risk. Um, if you go through and you test petals throughout the bloom period and the levels are low or nil, uh, and then you couple that with observations related to weather conditions, that can be a factor. In that situation, likely your risk of having uh, uh, an outbreak of sclerotinia that would cause yield losses that would warrant a fungicide application would be pretty minimal. So it, it certainly could provide some peace of mind in terms of making the decision not to spray. 
Kelly Turkington has just started a study comparing the tools, including the Spornado, which is like a spore trap. This study may help refine these tests a little further, especially when it comes to interpreting the level of risk based on the amount of spores present. The final part of the conversation is about disease progression once the spores land on the crop and how this relates to spray timing. This is where Dwayne Hegedus comes in. And Dwayne, I'm gonna I'm gonna lead off with you just because I want to I want your thoughts on on how the pathogen works and why uh, getting that fungicide in place before petal drop is is so important. Can you lead off with that? Well, I'll try to. Um, uh, I think it's been known for a long time that this is a, a very aggressive pathogen. It grows very quickly. Uh, as a matter of fact, I mean we. Uh, Anyone who's worked with it uh, will attest how quickly uh, it, it grows on an auger plate in the lab. I mean, over the course of the day, you can you can you can see it uh, progressing. Um, our work over the last few years has shown that I mean uh, that, uh, that that trait also um, we also see that in, in a field situation. So that um, once the petals become infected, okay, and uh, sufficient biomass has has um, uh, become available on the plant surface. Once those uh, mycelia or hyphae are in contact with the, with the plant, they very, very rapidly enter into the plant. Uh, using uh, genomics tools and genetics tools, we've been able to demonstrate that within hours, the, uh, the plant tissues become infected. Within about 12 to 24 hours, the, uh, uh, the fungus is already beginning to move through the plant. And within 24 hours, uh, you can see very visible signs of of necrosis. So uh, that shocked us uh, in a way. As a matter of fact, we were um, uh, we hadn't intended to be uh, to, to be sampling so early in these studies. Uh, but what it means is that uh, timing is is very critical. Um, that uh, um, once the petals have become infected, and uh, you know there's there's some contact with the plant surface, uh, that your 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 window is uh, has become increasingly narrow. Um, I don't necessarily want to advocate for uh, prophylactic uh, spraying, but uh, you know if we're looking at fifteen to twenty five dollars an acre and that translates into two to four bushels and you're looking at yield potentials of sixty to seventy bushels per acre, um, if I were still farming and unfortunately I'm not, um, the decision uh, to protect that yield potential would be would be fairly easy. So uh, I know there's a lot of testing, you know, uh, available and, and a lot of, you know, factors that go into the decision making. Uh, I think the important thing is to be spraying early. Kelly adds a point about the benefits of good coverage and the protection provided by fungicide that lands on stems and leaves down in the canopy. You know, if you can imagine, you're providing a barrier and that basically whether it's with leaf spot diseases, fusarium head blight and cereals, sclerotinia and canola, or even let's say Black Lake, uh, with, even with systemic fungicides, essentially you're providing a barrier uh, in that host tissue. Now with systemics, they'll penetrate into the tissue. Uh, they could move uh, from one side to the other or from the point of application to the tip of the leaf as they move with the water transpiration stream. But you have a barrier that uh, has an effect probably twofold. It, it will influence could potentially influence the germination of the, the spores that land in that 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 uh, leaf tissue. But in the case of sclerotinia, it's the infested petal 
that falls down in the canopy, so the fungus will grow on that petal. Now, if the petal has some fungicide on it, probably it's not going to grow very well. And I would say a, a, an ascospore and a petal tissue, you might have a better potential to actually have more of an eradicative effect, um, maybe. But, um, you know, that petal lands, an infected petal lands in that, that leaf base. And if you've had a prior application of fungicide that directly impacted that, that leaf base, there's a barrier of protection there. So the fungus wouldn't be able to, to grow from the petal into the stem tissue. And this, uh, or it's the extent of its uh, access and then progress is greatly reduced. Thank you to Kelly Turkington and Dwayne Hagedis for participating in this podcast. For lots more on sclerotinia stem rot, check out our collection of articles under the disease heading at canolawatch.org. While at the site, sign up to receive our timely canola agronomy emails. This has been a Canola Watch podcast. Canola Watch is a research-based agronomy service from the Canola Council of Canada in cooperation with the Provincial Canola Grower Associations, SAS Canola, Alberta Canola, and Manitoba Canola Growers. Thanks for listening. I'm Jay Wetter.